Good morning. Um, I'm not Ryan Johnson. Uh, <laughs> uh, the beautiful thing about a church that continues to grow is even though that my family and I have been here for seven years, there are a lot of people that probably do not know who I am. And that's okay. Uh, my name is Mike McAuliffe. Uh, we, we've been here for almost since day one um, and just love this church and just excited to be here. This morning, um, I serve here as an elder and also for our missional community. So if you get an email from a Mike about missional communities, hello, that's, that's me. Um, so this morning, as we continue to trek through um, the Sermon on the Mount, we're actually finishing up with the last beatitude today. And so there's something that happens in movies um, a lot where something that when somebody says something jarring, all of a sudden there's like this, like, that was, that's my second time trying that, and it was just as terrible as the first service. Um, but the idea being, you know, like that record scratch where there's something that's said so shocking that it just it creates this record. I'm not going to try it a third time, but this, this record scratch. Uh, and so as we look at this final beatitude, I, I really almost believe that when, when Jesus said these words, I mean, we go through the beatitudes, but we get to this last one. This becomes the most shocking of what Jesus says. And this is what he says in uh, Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so Jesus was pre preaching this message to a pretty large crowd. And it was in the broadest sense to those he would call his, his disciples. And so, you know, his disciples were there, but also for those who just, who, who were listening to Jesus and were, were following Jesus and heard what he was saying. It's like, yeah, this, this makes sense. And see, these were men and women that were godly. They were prayerful. They're expectant and hopeful and watching for the coming Messiah. If you put yourself in the shoes of those who would have heard this Sermon on the Mount for the first time, the kingdom of God for them means we've won. Like, we're on top again. Our, our persecutors are no longer chasing us. They're no longer persecuting us. The kingdom of God means peace here on earth. And all of the previous Beatitudes had like a certain logic to them. Like, so righteousness is what we lack. That's where it starts, and we have to under, come to understand that, to confess it, to acknowledge it, and even feel it. And we have to acknowledge our spiritual poverty, or we'll never come into the kingdom. We'll never see our need for it. You have to mourn your lack of righteousness. You need to come to God meekly. You need to come hungering and thirsting for righteousness, righteousness that you can't attain that, and that you don't have. But for those who come like that, for those who come like that, Jesus fills them, Jesus satisfies them, and gives them a righteousness that they cannot earn. But now Jesus is saying that persecution remains in the kingdom and not only remains but it gets worse. Like, it, it increases and intensifies. The followers of Jesus will be mocked, persecuted, subdued, and maligned. 
And though I don't doubt we, we disagree with the premise of persecution, let's be honest, this is America, right? We don't, we don't see persecution. Persecution is more about church bombings and physical violence, the sort of things that our brothers and sisters in, in North Africa, in the Middle East, in, in parts of Asia and Eastern Europe, that's what they face every day. We understand that the Atlanta Braves losing out on the All-Star game is not the same thing on the same scale of what persecution is, right? If persecution means there's a decent chance that I'm going to get murdered or somebody in my family is going to get murdered this month because they're a Christian, then no, we, we don't deal with persecution. But that's not all what persecution means, and I, I don't think we can miss this. Like most Greek words, um, the word translated persecution in our English Bible means this. So deagmos. Um, I'm half Greek, and I can barely say like, I'd like if So my, my mom, who would be 100% Greek, would be disappointed how I'm saying it. But deagmos, deagmos, um, has a wide semantic range. According to that translation, it means the literal hunt to bring someone down like an animal like a hunter trying to obliterate their catch. And, and we see this throughout Scripture. So persecution, where persecution is synonymous with, with violence. So in Matthew 10, and starting in verse 21, it speaks of family members killing other family members. In Luke 11, it references killing and persecution in the same breath. The entirety of Acts is, persecu- with, is persecution linked with, with arrest, murder, and and physical violence. But diagnos is not limited to that. And this is what we need to remember. It is not limited to just extreme acts of oppression. Yes, while we are right to downplay American persecution in light of what the rest of the, the world deals with, Christians deal with, we cannot make this word mean less than it actually is. When we see it in, in this passage, in Matthew 5.10, Jesus promises, so 5.10, Jesus promises that those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake will be blessed. Then, in verse 11, he explains what that actually looks like. So, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So, those things are t- connected together. And it's impossible And the reason that's important is because if you look at verse 12, it says, For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus does not mean in verse 12 that every prophet was killed uh, for persecution. Like, there's a spectrum from what, what persecution looks like. And it's important for us to know that as we sit here in the U.S. of A. Persecution may be being put to death. Yes. But it can also be referred to as hated by all for the sake of, of, the, of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. And I think 2 Timothy puts it really well when it says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Emphasis on all. So if we expect persecution only to come in the form of imprisonment, or death, we will not know what to think when it comes in the, in the forms of slander and derision, right? While martyrdom is a special category for Christian persecution, 
Persecution is the normal experience for all of us. <laughs> and that's great to know, but what does it mean for us, right? The answer is everything. Because if we understand the inevitability, purpose, and fruit of suffering for Christ and the resources he gives to face it, we will be better able to endure it when it happens, when it inevitably comes. Our reward in Christ is so great that even persecution is powerless to take it from us. And that's our big idea this morning. Our reward is so great in Christ that even persecution is powerless to take it from us. And, and, and there are reasons for this persecution. There's a proper response to this persecution, and, and there's rewards to it. And that's, those are our three points this morning. There are reasons for persecution. There's a proper response to persecution, and, and there are rewards for it. And first, the reasons, let's look at the reasons for blessed persecution, right? We ref, and so our passage gives us two explicit reasons. In verse 10, it says, for righteousness' sake, that while they are, are persecuted... And in verse 11, it's on my account. So basically saying, Jesus said, it's on my account in which people persecuted. And so I want to look at each one of those individually. And the idea for blessed persecution. There's, there's a really key thing we need to know here. It says, we are blessed for righteousness sake, not obnoxiousness sake. Those are two different things, Right? So early on with my walk, in my walk with Christ, um, I became a believer when I was in high school. And uh, so I had my, my youth pastor, and this was one of those times where I was just that guy, where it was just, when it came to, I'm going to air quote, sharing my faith, I was just hostile. I, was, I thought the louder you are, the more impact it had. Like I, and I, so I was talking to one of my friends about Jesus, and, so, and I'm just going at this person, like, and just in the most loving way possible, of course, right? And I'm just, as I'm saying all these words, and it, like, I'm, it's having no effect, but instead they're getting angry with me. And I'm like, what's going on? I must be being persecuted right now. And, and so my youth pastor says, Mike, you're not being persecuted. Like, they weren't rejecting what you were saying. They were rejecting you. You're not being persecuted. You're being a jerk. <laughs> and that's so true. Because we have this idea, like, you know, if, it's, if we're preaching, if, if we're saying something, then automatically, you know, if they don't like us, that's not on us. But the thing is, if nobody likes you when you're, when you're giving the message of God, when it's nobody likes you, it's probably not the message, <laughs> and it's more than likely you. Righteousness is not blessed for obnoxiousness' sake. If the reason a believer experiences opposition is due to anything other than his or her identity with and devotion to Christ, then when that happens, this is not blessed persecution. We, and we need to get this right because this is obviously something that we, we deal with because over and over again, we see scripture talk about this very thing, especially in 1 Peter. So Peter more than, one, more than once makes the point, don't suffer because you do wrong. Don't think that's about Jesus or being a Christian. If you suffer for wrong, you suffer rightly. 
When Christians suffer for doing what God forbids, they are not experiencing Christian persecution and must not twist scripture in an attempt to comfort themselves with the promises that are designed for those who suffer because of Christ. Righteousness is Christ's likeness lived out. So righteousness are these beatitudes lived out. So these beatitudes that we've gone through for the last few months, and this is what righteousness is. And living out of these first seven beatitudes, we have to understand is somewhat of an indirect confrontation to the upside-down world that we live in. You see, living out spiritual poverty and confessing it as spiritual poverty confronts religious pride. It confronts it by saying, I have no hope but that Jesus would save me. It confronts those who think that they have something that they can trust in but absolutely should not trust in themselves. Mourning over sin confronts a culture that is obsessed with levity, with likeness and lewdness and dismisses any, any feeling of guilt. Those who are meek expose the emptiness of self-promotion. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness indirectly confront a world around them that hungers and thirsts for anything and everything but God and his righteousness. Showing mercy exposes the absolute brutality and ugliness of the cancel culture we live in right now. You get the point. The Beatitudes indirectly confront those around us, and that's one of the reasons why Christians are persecuted. It's for righteousness' sake. Another reason Christians are persecuted, in verse 11, when Jesus says, on my account... Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And what we see here is blessed persecution always involves a relationship with Jesus. It's this attachment to Jesus that gives our righteousness its distinct character. And so was Jesus reviled, persecuted, and uttered? false words against? Of course. And so why do we think that we can proclaim that same message, yet the same outcome won't happen for us? We act like God has promised that if we we say the right things, and we say it in the right way, in the right attitude, into the right tone, that persecution will just pass us over. But if our first priority is to walk with God in God's way and believe his word, we will be persecuted. <sighs> we act like persecution is the one thing God would never require of us when actually it's the one thing that he, he actually, one of the few things that he actually does. And I think this is where persecution rubs up against us, right, in the U.S., um, because it's the most important for us to see that because most Christians are not going to face a loss of life or even a loss of property. Not yet. But ridicule, being cut off from friends and family, loss of job, missed opportunities, it can be as small as glances or gossip 
or as great as a modern-day witch hunt. And, and a few years back, and this is something that I, I, I think is incredible um, just because I'm a father of a middle school and a, a elementary schooler, so I'm not there yet. But there's always this large transition in life, I think we all know it, when you go from high school to college, right? Like, so if you parents of, of anyone that's been to college or so on, there's, there's a huge transition. And one of the things that we, we as believers, as Christians, we long desperately is for that our, our kids would, would own their faith even when they're out of our house. There's, there's something to that. We know there's a transition there. And so there's this, there was a college student a couple years ago, this happened a couple years ago, that uh, he wanted to share his faith on his school campus. And so he did that one-on-one. He did that in small groups, and then he wanted, he wanted to do that in public. And so uh, he started to do that. He found a, a place on campus where he started to proclaim the gospel in a way that was, that, was, that was not harsh, that was not a jerk. He wasn't me. And immediately, like, the college got wind of it, and they shut him down. They said, you, you can't do this here. And he's, he's like, wait, why not? He said, because... You're not in the public speech zone. You're not in the free speech zone. What? Like, a, a free, like this, is a, this is a public school campus, and there's a, a free, in the U.S., and there's a, a free speech zone. And so, you know, so he's like, okay. So this, this whole process was, like, to find these two speech zones. And these speech zones, in order to be able to talk about your free speech in a free speech zone, um, there's, there's two of these on campus, and they were not open on the weekends. They're only open during the week for about 10% of the time, mostly when kids are in class. So not much freedom. On top of that, if you can see the, the school was the size of a football field, the speech zones were the size like of a piece of notebook paper. So to think of it as a football field, then the speech zones, I've seen speech zones a lot right now, as size of a piece of a paper. And so he, the, the, guy, the student even went to the administration, got his message approved, was, was there in the time when he was supposed to be there. And so he showed up on the, on the, on the day of the week that he was able to be there. Um, and, and as he starts to begin to, to proclaim the gospel, the campus police officer approaches him and, and pulled him aside and told him that he had to stop talking. And if he continued, that he could be punished for talking in public, on campus, in the designated speech zone, with a reservation in America. Why? Because somebody complained. And this is, according to the college, what was said. Saying, that, saying anything that disturbs someone's comfort is considered disorderly conduct. Disturbs someone's comfort. In later court filings, by the way, this went all the way to the Supreme Court. The college insisted that sharing the Christian faith amounts to fighting words because it tends to incite immediate violence. Let me say it again. All who desire... (laughs) To live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Like I said, this made it all the way to the Supreme Court. Do you know where this was? This wasn't out west. This wasn't Seattle. This was 1.6 miles away from where you sit right now. Georgia Gwinnett College. Welcome home. 
And if these are the reasons that we are persecuted, how do we respond? Like, what is the response to that? What I want to do here is look, is talk through the ways that we tend to respond to persecution and then juxtapose that with how Scripture shows us how to respond. And as I often do when preparing a message, um, because I don't do this too often, uh, I will always I will text friends, pastors, and ask them a lot of questions about, hey, what would you say here? How would you word this? And so on. And one of the questions I started to pose was, what are some ways that we in the U.S. typically respond with, to persecution? Like, what are, some, what are some general ways that we respond to persecution? And in honor of Ryan Johnson, there are two ditches. Um, so <laughs> some of y'all get that. Some of you haven't been here long enough. You'll catch it real soon. Um, but either, either there's avoidance or, let me get to it. Let me find it. <laughs> Where's the word? Oh, compromise. There's the word. Thank you. See, this is, this is a back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, so, yeah. So how do we compromise? A word that I often hear, and candidly, I've used a lot, but will be using it a lot less now after I've studied over this last week, is the word winsome. So which is defined as being attractive or appealing in appearance or character. And winsomeness often is the word that we use to associate how we're supposed to speak to or interact with, with people. When we're talking about the gospel and sharing the gospel, we're supposed to be winsome in our words, whether it be to believers, non-believers, friends, whoever that may be. That's, that's the posture we're supposed to take um, as we speak to others. And listen, I don't agree with that in the slightest because, like I said, being a jerk is not the best move. But the danger of being winsome is that it can become a moving target. Where in order to be attractive and appealing, based on what this says, we have to change the message to be more palpable to the audience. So in other words, if the world hates Christians in our message, then it must be our fault. So that means that we need to change the words in order to, be, to adopt the, 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 bat, the, the worldly badges of the culture, Right? If everyone you encounter, if everyone that we encounter describes us only as winsome, then we are watering down the gospel, period. Why? Because if you've never seen the gospel as offensive, you've missed something essential. The message of Christ crucified declares how dire our situation is apart from Christ. It announces how deep the sin goes, how profound the rebellion is, how impossible is our condition apart from help from the outside. There's nothing we can do, no effort we can exert, no law that we can follow. And when speaking on persecution, author and professor Gene Edward Weiss said it this way, one of the greatest paradoxes in Christian history is that the church is most pure in times of cultural hostility. When things are easy and good, and, when, and that is when the church most often goes astray. When Christianity seems identical with the culture 
And even when the church seems to be enjoying its greatest earthly success, then it is weakest. Conversely, when the church encounters hardship, persecution, and suffering, then it is closest to the crucified Lord. Then there are fewer hypocrites and nominal believers among its members, and then the faith of Christians burn most intensely. Is the gospel that you and I preach in our, in our words, in our actions, is that identical with the culture? And if our response to persecution isn't compromise, maybe it's avoidance. And, and this one hits home. I have to be honest, um, I love comfort. I mean, I, I enjoy quietness. Like my kids are to the age now where it's not chaos in the house anymore, and it's a wonderful thing. Um, amen and amen. I never use the word busy to describe my life. Yeah, I, I interact with my literal and figurative neighbors, and they are wonderful. But the biggest conflict that we have is which college football team we root for. And on top of that, my literal and figurative neighbors, they believe what I believe. Even as I was preparing this message, um, Ryan actually encouraged me to, to share a personal story about how genuine, about genuine person persecution. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Why? <laughs> because I couldn't even begin to tell you <laughs> the last time I had a conversation with, let alone a relationship with somebody that was disagreed with what I believe or was hostile, hostile to the gospel. Like I'm, my light is under a bushel. <laughs> I'm keeping the stumbling block of the cross, as it says in Galatians 5, to myself. And so often, like, when I, when I do get to be up here, it's, it's, there's always enjoy when you get to pick what you're preaching on. Then there's other times when it's like, hey, this is the one you got. And, well, this week's been rough. But it's also been really good, too. But Scripture calls for a different kind of response. In Romans 12, 14, it says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Notice the imperative here. This is not a command to be passive or non-resistant. It is the opposite. It calls for an active response. We are to bless our persecutors. That, and I know that seems counterintuitive and there's everything within me. My logical mind was saying this makes no sense. I can tell you all the reasons why this doesn't make any sense. But this is not something that is just a suggestion because scripture is consistent. And Jesus even says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you, Luke 6, 27, 28. Again, these are active. These are active. Jesus isn't giving us a benediction here. He's instructing us to respond to persecution with acts of loving kindness toward those who oppose us. He goes on to say, in essence, that to bless those who persecute you is to treat them like a friend. And these are not just words from Jesus, because what's the last thing that Jesus said when he was on the cross? Like, when's the last thing that he said before it is finished? What does he say? What does he pray to the Lord? What does he say to them? Like, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. So these are not just words for Jesus. In essence, this is who he is. This is not just a thought. This is who he is. Think about Stephen. 
the first Christian martyr said the exact same words as he was getting stoned. There's no better way to bless those who persecute us than by showing them the truth of the gospel. It's the only appropriate way to respond when suffering for Christ's sake. Everything proud and fleshly in us screams against such a strategy, but remember, it is a reward of divine blessing and a cause for rejoicing when God counts us worthy to suffer for Christ's sake. Our fear of persecution, and listen, it is my fear too, our refusal to even consider the idea can prevent us from being obedient in a whole host of areas. Maybe it's going overseas. Maybe it's sending our kids to a war-torn country. Maybe it's sharing your faith. Uh, Maybe it's letting on at work that you're a Christian. Maybe it's hesitation to join a church. And because of fear of friends or family, maybe living a godly life in Christ, I mean, a lower GPA or getting passed over for a promotion. Maybe it's being overlooked, underappreciated. Maybe it's loss of life or even worse, the loss of life of someone you love. But to suffer on his account, Christ says it right in this beatitude, is the pinnacle of blessing. In Christ, we have found ourselves blessed when we deserved to be cursed. We have come to know a father who does not revile those who humbly seek him. When reviled, we now have the opportunity to bless undeserving revilers just as we have been blessed from above. Can you imagine how radically different we would be as individuals if we begin to grasp this? Can you imagine how different and how incredible of an impact that New City Church would have on Lawrenceville, Georgia, if we were a congregation that prayed for one another and then encouraged each other as we walked through trials and persecution, that we came alongside our brothers and sisters and proclaimed the gospel with truth? Can you imagine how different New City Church and how different we would be as a church and what would it mean for the community that we all live in? The swelling ocean of reviling in our day is not just an obstacle to be endured. It is an opportunity for the gospel to advance and for deeper joy. And finally, what's the reward? Um, <laughs> I'm going to do something that I, I, well, I guess I've done it once because it's my second time doing it today. So this is the second time I preached it. But I'm going to quote um, a famous televangelist, Okay. <laughs> this is like, I'm sure the first time I said it, like, wait, I guess this is my last time preaching. See y'all later. Um, um, I won't say his name. I will say, however, I'm jealous of his hair. That's all I'm saying. Um, and he said something about blessing, and it was one of the few times I'm like, amen, brother. Like, I, I, I agree with you, absolutely. And this is what he said about blessing. And once I tried to do the, an accent and the voice last, I'm not even going to attempt that this time, Okay. This is what he said. Chase God and his blessings will chase you. 
Chase God and his blessings will chase you. I'm telling you, that is T-shirt worthy. Like you could put that on a T-shirt and sell it. That's, that's a new fundraiser. There we go. Well, there, for the cakes that we're doing, the cake auction, we'll put that on there. That's, that's the highest bidder. I'm calling it now. The only problem is I agree with this guy's premise, but the application, no. Because for him, those blessings come in line with multiple homes, a, a private jet, um, a lot of tax-free cash, a fleet of cars. Um, these are the blessings that he would associate with you chasing God. However, if you see what we've been talking about, yes, you will be blessed. Absolutely, that is a promise that if you chase God, you will be blessed. But what does it look like for in Scripture? Our blessings are never connected to material things. It's a deeper relationship with Jesus. It's a different relation, different, deeper relationship with God. That's a little bit harder to put on a t-shirt, though. <laughs> so what does the reward look like? I don't know. I can't, at least I can't describe it. Because we even see in, in, in these words that, that Matthew 10 through 12 talk about. He talks about this blessing in heaven. It's really hard to describe heaven, isn't it? Part of me is thinking, as long as I'm there, I'm okay. But at the same time, Jesus is, is saying so much more. And maybe our capacity to love others will increase as we love Jesus more. Maybe that's it. Whatever it entails, it will be marvelous and glorifying to God because, you know, even, even the words of Jesus, like, hey, it's, you're going to have this great blessing. What is it? I don't know. But you know it's going to be incredible. And that's what we're called to do is lay up our treasures in heaven and not here. So the reward for persecution is not happening now. Enduring persecution for the sake of our Savior will be rewarded. And that will be way beyond anything that we could ever receive here. We will find that the price of persecution, of enduring persecution here, is minuscule compared to the weight of glory that awaits for us on the other side of heaven. Let me finish with this this verse. 2 Corinthians 4. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen, persecution, enduring persecution, are eternal. As we stand for Christ in truth, we can expect persecution. And the persecution of our faith will be strengthened even as we face it with joy and gladness. And this is what God does for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, may we be a people and may we be a church that does not avoid 
persecution, but instead embrace it as the blessing that you have so clearly laid out in Scripture, Father. Will it be easy? Absolutely not, Lord. But in all those things, we are drawn closer to you, Father, which gives us the strength to endure, Father. And may we be a church where this is true of us. Not to be winsome, but boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel that has changed our stories and our lives, Father, as we realize that we're just one beggar telling another beggar where the food is. Father, thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God together, proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.